Advice now for parents with children experiencing feeding challenges when it's more than just fussy eating. Rebecca Barnard is a Christchurch-based occupational therapist whose private practice supports children who have a range of complications that impact their ability to eat, try new foods and enjoy mealtimes. These could be physical, sensory or psychological. How should parents identify their in challenging territory and what are the strategies to resolve feeding challenges? Also, what help is available? Rebecca is in our Otatahi Christchurch studio. Kia ora, and thanks for coming in today, Rebecca. Oh, kia ora. Thank you so much for having me. Could you give us an overview of paediatric feeding challenges, what they can be and what some of the underlying causes can be? Yeah, of course. So feeding is such a complex topic, as I'm sure you're aware with all the questions coming in. It's the most complex task that any of us will ever do because it involves every single body structure and function to be working in perfect harmony. So it's not uncommon to see feeding challenges in children. I guess where the difference is is we have a normal stage of development of just fussy eating, which only really should last a couple of months. And then there is, a, I guess, a new diagnosis, which we've only had for a year and a half, which is fantastic, called paediatric feeding disorder. And it kind of targets those. It's more than just fussy eating. It's it's a bit more complex. It's been there since birth. It's started in toddler years. It's Something has happened to make food very complex for um, for the child, so we kind of look at it, at it you know, in those two ways. Um, but yes, it's, it's very, very complex and there's a difference between the two. So is there an actual diagnosis possible to say this is more than fussy eating, this is more than a developmental um, stage that many children will go through, playing with food, being scared of food, yeah. whatever. Um, is, is there a diagnosis there process. is a di- yeah. Yes, there is a diagnosis and a, and a process. Um, so like I say, it only became an official diagnosis a year and a half ago, which is crazy because we've been working under these feeding challenges for s- the longest time. Um, the process here in New Zealand is essentially it needs to be a occupational therapist or a speech-language therapist who feeding is their specialty. So, for example, our practice, we can do um, those diagnoses. And, it, and it's essentially a mealtime observation, thorough assessment, parent questionnaires, that kind of piece to give the diagnosis. Um, But it it is a really important diagnosis to have because the more children out there, the more we can go, um, hello, you know, this is is a complex issue and and needs funding and needs to be addressed because paediatric feeding disorder is not something that goes away without intervention essentially it it needs because there's an underlying medical sensory physical skill trauma anxiety something underlying it that needs to be addressed so what are the potential causes could you give us some examples Mm, a lot of the time it tends to start very early on so sort of during breast and bottle feeding we might have had issues with latching sucking any of that process so some children go into tube feeding straight away from there Um, a lot of the times it's around that starting solids time where you see lots of gagging lots of vomiting lots of challenges with moving up in textures like they'll only stick with purees and that's all they can manage and won't manage lumps because they'll gag or won't manage more complex foods because they'll choke we see that kind of thing and then we sort of see it again around I guess that 18 month time where people go oh is it just the fussy eating but it goes on for a few years and it's been going on for a while and that might be some of the underlying sensory challenges some other developmental um, 
challenges or things at play there. So there's a few, yeah, a few stages in development that it pops up. Those are the stages, but can there be causes such as uh, actual medical or perhaps physiological mm. causes? Obviously, there's um, psychological and perhaps sensory. We learn so mm. much more about, we're learning so much more about how we don't all sense things the same. And, and some people have, um, uh, many people have um, uh, experiences that we need to understand uh, as mm. parents. So could we talk perhaps about what yeah. some of those factors might be? Yeah, so sensory is a good one to start with because like you say, we all have our own sensory challenges, our own sensory preferences, but food is a sensory experience. You know, every time we eat a food, there's a smell, there's a taste, there's a texture, there's a feeling, there's a, a sound, you know, it's a whole different experience. And if our body can, you know, might struggle to process sensory information, it's going to struggle to process the sensory information of food. So yes, sensory challenges are a big aspect of it. There's a big component of some underlying medical complications, even down to sort of constipation, reflux, um, ear, nose and throat, lots of children with tonsils, adenoids, um, grommets, that kind of piece that can make food really difficult because if any time they go to eat, so that the chew and swallow, if it's painful, if it's uncomfortable, if it doesn't feel good, they're not going to want to do it. So we need to get to the bottom of what's the medical piece. And those three are sort of the main ones there. Um, there is, I guess, a little bit more technically, there are some oral oral motor challenges, which is we need the oral skills to be able to move food safely and effectively in our mouth. So sometimes that can play a role. And then there is sort of anxieties, traumas, the psychological piece that's that plays a role. More often than not, and I think it's important to address because a lot of the times parents kind of get the, the blame for these feeding challenges, but with paediatric feeding disorder, very seldom is it um, you know, something the parents have created. There's usually some medical, sensory, oral motor or psychological underlie, underpinning to the feeding challenge. Let's look at um, some of what you're looking for then. And again, it's trying to delineate, isn't it, between mm. what might be frustrating but 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 normal um, mm. uh, it, it, it developmental issues that you still got to resolve, and then then something that, that is a bit more complicated. And mm. what are the, some of the things um, you mentioned earlier? Trouble with with latching, um, mm-hmm. with breastfeeding, or, or particularly short feeds, mm-hmm. uh, even bottle feeds. What about at the solid stage? Are there some are there some behaviours or some physiological responses that that might make you go, "Come on, this is." You know, we're not talking about yeah. throwing food on the floor here. Um, there's an actual physical response that's quite extreme. Could you could could you give an example? Yeah, yeah. Um, like you say, there are those typical behaviours. Which yes, throwing food is quite a typical response. But if it's as soon as the food's on the plate, every single time we're throwing food, probably something we need to look at to why you know what's so complex about the food or what's what's so challenging about the food. Um, we would typically see, I guess, not so much on the starting solid stage. But a little bit later, um, if a child has less than 20 foods, so with fussy eating, there'll be a limited range of food, but still flexibility with food. With a more complex feeding challenge, less than 20 foods, no flexibility, no changes. Has to be a certain brand, certain flavour, certain texture. It has to be the same every single time. Um, We do see lots of anxiety around trying new food. So again, fussy eating, there's some flexibility there with a more complex one. Very little flexibility in trying new foods because there's just this overwhelming fear of, I've had food in the past and it hurt because of a medical complication. I've had food in the past and it didn't feel nice because of a sensory need or something else. Um, 
so yeah, there's there's that sort of piece of the the severe anxiety around trying food and also going out to social situations. It's when the parents are needing to take an extra lunchbox or an extra plate of food because there's just nothing that the child will be able to have. So it's I guess it's more when it impacts your daily life and your daily meal times and meal times are just hard because there's you know more common tantrums and more behaviors that we're seeing at meal times because the food for them is so difficult really interesting one and i don't know whether Mm. this falls into a different issue uh, or or can be part of this is um needing their ipads won't eat if there's no devices around that's really interesting and probably i would suspect on the rise right as we Mm. as we increasingly become unable to do anything without having (laughs) Um, a phone or an iPad around. Mm, that, yeah, definitely in children with a more complex feeding challenge, often if there's a sensory element, having an iPad does make eating easier for them. So they will say, I won't eat unless there's an iPad in front of me because it kind of almost numbs the senses distracts. in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, distracts mm. and they can just eat without mm any pressures or oh great I'm going to just put my iPad on have my safe food because no one's going to ask me to try anything new no one's going to try and add anything to my food I just get to eat in peace <laughs> and eat in, in you know in comfort so it is definitely on the rise okay. and it is kind of a sign that it might be more than a complex feeling. So, so what do you do it, 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 when you're on this journey um, mm. first instance and it, whether it's fussy eater or, or whether it is uh, something more you don't mm. want that standoff you know, meal war. It's meal war time, right? Um, um, they don't call it the witching hour for nothing. The run up, <laughs> the run up to meals and in bath time and everything else. Yeah. So how are you? How are you first trying to address this behaviourally? Mm. So I guess there's a piece of practice that we use, and it does work with both fussy eating and um, paediatric feeding disorder. But I guess the difference is with fussy eating, it will likely result in more food being consumed, whereas paediatric feeding disorder, it will help with that mealtime battle, but we still might need to work on the food itself. We love to use the division of responsibility, which I'm sure a lot of people might be familiar with. And it essentially says that children have a job at meals and parents have a job at meals. And when you can both stick to your meals, those mealtime battles don't happen anymore because you're not trying to do each other's jobs and that's when the when the battles start. So essentially the kick of his job is to decide what to eat, when to eat and where to eat. So 5.30 at the table we're having nachos. That's all the kick of his job is, which is I know is really hard. And then it's the child's job to decide what they eat, how much they eat and if they eat from what you've offered. So ensuring that there is a food that you know that the child can have and they are comfortable with, but by doing it in that way, they get that sense of autonomy and control, which we know toddlers in particular love and and need that feeling of being in control. But you also have a job at mealtimes by saying this is what the food is rather than the child going, mum, I'm hungry, I want food now. It's actually, that's the kick of his job. Your job is to decide what to eat and how much to eat um, is a really nice practice that we like to use and sometimes doing that in a sort of a family style way where you have foods in the middle of the table in a sort of deconstructive form and everyone gets to choose what goes onto the plate. Like I say for the more complex feeding challenges that won't magically bring new food but it will help with those mealtime battles. What help if, if there is um, a situation to be diagnosed and, and again the problem with diagnosing anything is getting mm. on a waiting list, getting a diagnosis then getting the help. Mm. Um, there's often a cost attached. If you really are dealing with something um, uh, beyond mm. even prolonged fussy eating, where, where should people turn? 
Yeah, it is a really tricky one because there's not... I feel like it's a new industry to New Zealand and we're just getting the therapists and the the people involved. You can certainly go to the GP to raise the concerns, um, but also I'd kind of reach out to other practices. They might be able to refer you internally to the you know, the public system feeding teams. Like I know down in Christchurch we've got our feeding team, but yes, with them they've got long wait lists and, and so on. Um, so there is options to go privately, which I know for us we can cover the assessment costs, but then sort of going forward, if there is a more complex feeding challenge and there's other concerns, we might be able to access some other funding streams. Um but it's just, it is a tough one because we're such a new industry and a new area. But I guess sort of try GP in the public system first, but if not, try private, but know that there are some funding streams available. Some and possibly, um, yeah, no, no, I was just going to look at school, but it looks like the, the GP is the first port of call. Let's look yeah. at a couple of questions that do look very relevant to what you're talking about here, i.e. beyond mm. the, the, the sort of fussy eating situation. Mm. Um, this email says, my 18-month-old granddaughter has a rare chromosomal deletion. One mm-hmm. symptom of this, excuse me, is difficulty eating, so she needs to be fed well-pureed foods. Mm-hmm. In the last month or so, she has started trying to eat normal foods, but seems unable to swallow them. Mm-hmm. She will attempt most foods, but spits out the lumpy bits. She really wants to be part of the family dining experience and sometimes refuses to be fed from a spoon. Any mm-hmm. tips to help her with texture and also how we can fatten her up? Yeah, that 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 is a tough one. I think there's definitely credit that she wants to be involved in family meals and that sense of belonging and you know the culture around mealtimes is really important. So still having her involved in in the meals and whatever food she's able to manage, um, I'd probably I think that might be one that you know going through some therapy might be helpful with and especially if there's an additional diagnosis we can often get other um, funding for it but it's essentially going to be slowly increasing or changing or adapting those textures so we can only do let's say thin purees now can we do to a slightly thicker puree and then can we slowly change how it's served and you know you said sometimes we do it from a spoon can we do it from somewhere else would we do it in a straw in a smoothie form um, starting to expand that way as well but like you said it sounds like there's some some oral challenges there that means we struggle with those textures so with those purees you can do lots of high calorie foods as well lots of sort of like coconut yogurts and oils and (laughs) avocados and things like that that are blended to the same consistency that she's okay with so that you're getting some of the calories um, and just making sure she's a part of that environment Uh, another one says 11 year old healthy boy lives on a diet of sometimes dry bread odd Mm. cracker crumpet biscuits little cereal sometimes dry with little milk small Mm. amount of banana and fried mints in a wrap or homemade burger with patty plus cheese and a few tiny carrot sticks struggles Mm. with any other vegetable or fruit the child is aware of his challenges and the impact it has on him going out, going to camp, mm. etc. Mother takes a relaxed approach, encourages, never forces, asks him to eat a little of something of things he could possibly handle. No mm. real improvement. Please guide us. Oh, yeah. It sounds like she's taking a really good approach with the no pressure because obviously that just can make the whole situation a lot harder. Um, sounds like we have a very beige, white, crunchy sort of carbohydrate yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there is like she said we can start to slowly expand those foods and if, if there's let's say one cracker can we 
choose the same, if it's a sea salt cracker, can we choose another brand of sea salt cracker and just start to expand that way? Because every time they try something and go, oh, that actually wasn't so bad, it builds up the confidence that I maybe can keep trying things and you can slowly sort of build out that way. 11 years old is also really hard because it's, you know, 11 years of the same feeling that food doesn't work for us. So potentially some um, psychology or OT or, mm. or some other support might it's be interesting helpful. interesting the carrot sticks at the, I don't know whether it's a crunch Crunching, sensation. Yeah. That's, I mean, we're so, we're only beginning to understand our senses, aren't we? And the yeah, complicated we are. things oh, yeah. that they are. Yeah. Mm, mm. Um, okay. Um, let's have another look. We want to add a voice of hope for parents. Our now 12 year old daughter had most of the feeding issues described, primarily stemming from sensory processing disorder exacerbated mm. by trauma. We had a lot of professional help, including occupational therapists and speech and psych- psychologists in the UK and here. And now, for the most part, she is a great eater. Mm. It's another point you want to make that sometimes, if it's full paediatric, uh, disorder, feeding mm. disorder, that there may be some kind of therapy in, in tandem. Again, I know this is all money, right? Um, but but is that often the case? Yeah, it is. I know we're sort of, we've started out as OT and now we're speech and we'll soon to be psychology and that whole sort of MDT, multidisciplinary team, um, which is a really nice approach because like she said, there's some sensory elements which the OTs tend to work with. There's some oral motor challenges which the speechies tend to work with. There's some of the anxiety and trauma and psychological piece which the psychologists work with. So it kind of, because it's very rarely just one domain that we're working on, we're working on multiple things, there's, we kind of need a team okay. to approach now, it. This last one is succinctly as you can, and I'm sorry to do that to you. My <laughs> daughter-in-law is celiac, same as me, but also has type 1 diabetes. She will not eat vegetables, see so she's allergic. She ate gluten for years, and when pregnant, her son was born with only one kidney. She's now learned to not, not to eat gluten. Unfortunately, her son at two is a very picky eater. I do all sorts of lovely food for him. Um, rain, you know, range selection mm. cheese, rice crackers won't touch anything new. So I mash banana, do rice pudding, mash kumara or baked bacon and egg, patties, chopped All chicken, any tips, nothing works. I oh, have him dear. and his brother who's six months twice a week, and I'm working with the little brother. Um, she thinks he's celiac but has not done a test, and I know that's another whole issue. Mm. Um, I would mm. have loved him to eat gluten occasionally, but she insists that mm. if they do the gluten challenge and load him with gluten, he'll react badly and could develop celiacs. Now, this is really complicated, isn't it? It is. It's is really Your complicated. Uh, in summary, yeah, probably maybe some other support around navigating that. Um, but we find with that sort of age range, getting them involved in either play or you know, preparing or baking food is a really good way because it sort of reduces the anxiety. And it's like, oh, we don't have to eat this food, but let's just play and learn about it. Let's see if we can get messy, what we can create. And it starts to bring down that that inner voice that they have that says, I can't have that food. It's, well, we might not get there today, but we can do something with it today. And then over time, it, it starts to to change. So any time you can get them involved in the kitchen, even if it's play, like if we go back to the carrot sticks, building them up into towers and knocking them down is is a fun way to get the touch, the feeling, and then they can eventually go into our mouth to play with as well. You know, they can become musical instruments and all the all the fun things. Um, but yeah, that is a tough one. Thanks very one. much. That mm. is Rebecca Barnard, uh, Christchurch-based occupational therapist.